45% of people said they're just buying less groceries. Right now, based on the data that we just looked at, everybody is going towards conventional and the Gen Z and millennials are even more likely to be channel shifting based on the price pressure. Welcome to the Startup CPG podcast. I'm your host, Jesse Freitag. At the time of recording, the numbers for the latest Food at Home Index had increased 10.2% over the past 12 months. So what does that mean? How can we plan and adjust for inflationary times as emerging CPG brands knowing shopper behaviors are changing? Luckily, we have access to awesome natural shopper data experts. And today we get to chat with Jessica Malik, VP of Marketing and Insights at Social Nature, an all-in-one shopper marketing platform for natural CPG brands to successfully launch products at retail. With over 1 million users in their community, they have great data on how natural shoppers are currently responding to these inflationary times. Listen in to hear Jessica share about what changes consumers are making to their shopping habits in the current economic environment, including behavior changes related to channels, categories, health goals, and spending, differences across generations, including Gen Z, Millennials, Gen X, and Baby Boomers, winning strategies for getting and keeping new consumers in today's macroeconomic conditions, top tips on successful product launches in today's retail environment, ideas for engaging your current customer base to grow lifetime value and influence, and more. Hi, Jessica. Welcome to the show today. So happy to have you back. How are you? Well, thank you, Jesse. Thanks for having me back. Yes, of course. I'm so excited to have you here to talk through how natural shoppers are responding to inflation because as past listeners know, I'm a huge fan of social nature. We're huge fans of social nature at Startup CPG. And the data and insights that you have are incredible. So I'm so excited to discuss that today. For those that haven't listened to an episode with you before or aren't familiar, can you tell us a little bit about yourself and about social nature to start us off? Yeah, sure. So I'm Jessica Malik, and I'm leading the marketing and insights departments here at social nature. I've been with the company for five years and worked in the natural health product marketing space since 2004. So I'm super passionate about helping natural brands win in the marketplace. And that's also social nature's mission. So our goal is to partner organizations like Startup CPG and with brands so that we can raise overall awareness of the benefits of natural products to consumers so that we can grow the industry together and ultimately achieve a more positive impact in the world. And the way we do that is through helping solve one of the biggest problems that emerging brands face, which is getting noticed on the shelf in the first place. So a lot of work and blood, sweat, and tears goes into developing these amazing, innovative products that help people and help the world. Yet, if nobody knows about them, they will be delisted and they will fail and that can be bankrupting to companies. So our goal is to help make sure that these new products, as they're launching into retail, are discovered quickly by the right consumer. So we match brands, basically, with consumers. We have a community of 1 million shoppers that subscribe to our platform to learn about new natural products at stores they already shop at. And then we help get those people to learn about your brand too. And then through sampling off the shelf, they will try your product and then they'll give you lots of information, reviews and feedback about their experience so that not only are you getting a new customer from this, you're also learning about the why behind the buy. Why would people buy it again? What are the things about the product that's appealing so that you can identify more opportunities to grow your brand? Or why not? If somebody wouldn't buy it again, we want to know that too. So that's kind of a nutshell of what we do. 
That's great. And yeah, I'm proud to be one of the one million plus shoppers. I was just telling Jessica before we hopped on that I just did some shopping with one of my vouchers just yesterday at Whole Foods. And I love that I've been able to, you know, discover products within the space that have become now household favorites. And then I'm always more than happy to answer the quick surveys. And I'm curious because we're going to talk about kind of shopper behaviors, if you can tell us a little bit about some of the data that you are able to gather during the process. At the end, we'll kind of dig deeper into Social Nature's offerings, but what kind of questions are shoppers asking before and after purchase? And yeah, just how, I think it's helpful to know the landscape of the data, and then that helps us set the stage for digging into the shopper behavior. Sure. So there's a couple aspects. So when somebody signs up to socialnature.com, and it's free to sign up, so I encourage anybody who wants to experience it for themselves to, to go ahead and sign up socialnature.com. We'll learn about what your top health goals are. We'll learn about what key product attributes you're interested in or want to avoid. So are you plant-based only? Are you looking for gluten-free? Are you looking for dairy-free, etc.? We will get a sense of where you shop. What retailers do you shop at regularly? What areas of the baskets? So we cover several different categories, subcategories. Do you want to learn about more better for you products? And so all of that data is aggregated across that million shopper base. So we can start to understand some trends based on where people shop or certain generations, whether it be like Gen X, Y, or Z, or millennials, and we can start to segment. So if you're wanting to better understand, well, what are some of the top attributes like Whole Foods shopper wants to learn more about in this category, we can help you answer those questions. Are there any key product attributes trending in a specific category? We can help you answer those in aggregate. And what we do really well, in addition to having that baseline aggregate data, is to get help you get like data specific to your product through driving targeted trial at retail. That's perfect for kind of setting the stage for this. And we've done a kind of a de- deep dive a while back with Jessica on the show, kind of the modern wellness consumer, which I'll link that episode in the show notes because that still definitely has a lot of relevant details in it. But now it's been a while since we've talked. And so now we're thinking... What are how are natural shoppers responding to inflation? And it's such it's a it's challenging time. And so I'm curious, like, what are you seeing at social nature with inflation rising? How are shopping habits changing in the current market? Yeah, there's definitely a lot of change happening from people cutting back on spending on certain types of products to shifting where they shop and how they shop. So I can speak through some of those changes here kind of step by step. The good news is that 42% of people are continuing to spend money on national products to support their health goals. And people are actually more health conscious across the board than they were 18 months ago. So despite macroeconomic changes and pressure, people are more health conscious and maybe not surprising because when you're dealing with stress, you also are more health conscious because you want to make sure that you've got resilience to deal with whatever stress you have. So we've seen that people are really focused on eating healthy. They are cutting back on some of the natural and organic product spending, and they're less likely to cut back on products that have specific dietary attributes. So like people are looking for like low sugar options. They want to buy lower sodium products. They are looking for dairy-free products. And if you shout those claims out and you shout them out loud, they're less likely to cut that. Why? Because those specific attributes are related to their health goal of eating healthier 
or some people have digestive health problems, they are now consciously buying products that are more suitable for their lifestyle and they're less likely to cut those ones, whereas they're more likely to cut just general areas of healthier, but if it's not really clear specifically what that attribute is, it might get substituted for a conventional product. Plant-based products are still growing. People said that 38% of shoppers are buying more than they were in 2021, despite only 5% of them saying they're vegan. So like the plant-based trend used to grow across categories and has gone mainstream. So that's, I think, good news for the industry because there is a lot of innovation that's still coming into that in the plant-based category there. So that's an area of growth. One question on the like the claims, like I'm curious with gluten free in there, as many listeners know, I've got a personal stake in that with family members with celiac disease is is gluten free also one where you're seeing people continue to purchase because it's a either a, a health, there's a health reason they have to keep eating gluten free or it's yes. related to a health goal. Yes, that's exactly what's happening. So it's interesting, like the industry started years ago for several different reasons. People wanted to eat healthier and natural and avoiding chemicals and bad ingredients. And then as people have had more food allergens grow, explode over the last 20 years, people have had to be more conscious about how they eat. So we saw a lot of brands coming out in the market with these claims, right? And getting certified for gluten-free and all that kind of stuff. And then there was this period over the last maybe few years where people, some brands, bigger brands were saying, even though we've got all like 10 of the clean ingredient checklists, gluten-free, dairy-free, this and that, we just want to market ourselves as a healthy halo brand. And so people stopped focusing on some of these attributes and just doing overall lifestyle marketing to broaden their market share, which is cool. But right now under this pressure, people don't care about that as much. They're going to spend money on stuff that's very clearly going to help them with their specific health requirements. And because people have, many have dietary restrictions, like you mentioned, Jesse, they need those products. They have to buy them because if they don't, they're going to be feeling sick and worse. <laughs> and then yeah. they will deal with the pressure of the rising housing costs and all the other stuff that we're all dealing with. So that's like the number one theme that's like coming out of this research in general. That's one of the number one themes. Cool. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you for adding that. Yeah. And then the other thing that is happening that I think is just important for emerging brands to be aware of is that based on our research, our community of a million natural shoppers, people are migrating more to conventional retailers like Walmart right now because of price sensitivity. People are looking to cut their spending overall. They are looking for better pricing. And so there is going to be and is a growth in traffic and spending in conventional. So that's an opportunity if you're scaling into conventional to make sure you've got enough working capital to do well in that channel because it is very competitive. And if you're exclusively just starting on a natural, 44% of people said they're just not going to those chains as much. So it doesn't mean that the sky is falling here. It does mean that there is probably less foot traffic in some of these natural retailers. And so we need to be aware of that, which means you might have to spend a little bit more money to fight for your share in that specific retailer. You might be seeing a dip in your sales, not because your product isn't good, but because those dollars are being pushed to other more conventional channels. So you need to be aware of that if you're selling in that channel and address that head on because that is a shift that is definitely happening right now. Interesting. Yeah, I was just going to ask if it was people like spending less overall at a specialty retailer or whether they were just not going. So it sounds like they're just less people are going at all, which is interesting. Yes. Yeah, that's just simply not going, like putting more trips to the conventional. Yeah. Do you see a difference? I remember when Seth Goldman was on the show talking about like the tea category, he was like, 
it was interesting during recessionary times because he was like, we didn't see a huge change because people still saw like something at a price point of like an iced tea as a treat. Like they, they could justify it. They're like, I might not buy a new car. I might not take care of this household project, but I still deserve this tea for a few dollars. I'm curious what you're seeing as far as like either if you see a breakdown between like at retail like price point, like of people still buying products under a certain price point or total basket value, like curious about kind of some of the price sensitivity and if it depends on where the product falls in its overall price. Yeah, I think basically across the board, people want a reduction in price because across the board, the prices have gone up. So like the supply chain issues and challenges that many of us have been facing that have impacted our margins have made us have to have tough choices. Are we going to take that margin hit ourselves with our increased cost of supply? Or are we going to pass that on through the retailer and the consumer and raise our price? And so across the board with inflation, prices have been going up. And because it's like not just one area of that consumer's life, it's like their groceries, their rent, their housing, entertainment. If they drive a car and they don't have a hybrid or an electrical car, gas prices, like suburban people still have to drive maybe, right? Because across the board, everything has gone up. People are looking to cut, period. Like they're just looking to save money, period. There are some areas where they're a little bit more sensitive. Like the biggest area that's being hit in terms of price sensitivity is where we spend a lot of our money is on food and beverages. That's where people are looking for better alternatives, like cheaper alternatives. Household cleaning items is another one. They're less likely to be price sensitive around pet and baby products. They're more willing to spend money on natural pet and baby products. So there there tends to be a bit of a hierarchy of prioritization within the household that's happening there. So that's a couple of key areas. And people, 45% of people said they're just buying less groceries. Like they're actually cutting back on their overall spending. Does Do you also see in inflationary times people buy, do you see a trend toward more like ingredients cooking at home versus like ready to eat products? People are cooking at home much more. 59% of people said that they are cooking more at home and that is related to, to price for sure. Yeah, interesting. So I think That's a lot. Those of us that, that sell like condiments or certain types of products, like trying to show how that product in use and how you can use it in multiple ways is going to help you sell more product. And if you are already prepared food, it's not to say that people aren't going to buy it, but if they can make something for 50% of cost of what you're offering, they're probably not buying your product as much. So that's where you just might want to do a bit more unit economics and get a feel for maybe you can sell value packs or something. You could buy four of my meals for X price or something that you're still moving units to get the volume, but maybe there's a little bit of a a discount there or something. Yeah, very yeah, good question. Yeah, <laughs> good question. Yeah, yeah, because yeah, I think of Haven's Kitchen, who we've had on the show and talked about having a really great yeah. social nature campaign yeah. of during the pandemic, people are like, I'm cooking at home. And one of the hard things is sauces. And you might be willing to spend for a sauce that you can use across multiple meals um, totally. versus buying something that that's a ready to eat meal kit. This is exactly. So condiments, sauces, even powdered supplements. Like when I worked at Vega, we would we'd show how to use the Vega One product, not just for smoothies, but how to bake with it, all kinds of stuff, right? Just to get people using the product more and seeing how they can incorporate in their life. So people in the food and beverage industry have an opportunity to do that probably as well with 
some of their products. And do you see for product, we'll talk about more about product discovery as we go through this too, but I'm sure. curious for customers, like as they may, as they maybe change their shopping habits, like if, if let's say they're not going to a, a higher end specialty store to for new products and are they discovering things from influencers online and then going and looking at conventional or I'm curious how people if they're not going to some of those stores that we see for discovery what's what's driving them to find new things at conventional probably like mostly points of interruption we've seen in our work we ask people what are some of the top ways you evaluate a new product to make a decision, right? And what we found, only 5% of people said influencer marketing has any impact on their discovery or their wow. purchase decisions. Yeah. So it's not what is impactful as it might have been before. And I'm, obviously, this is a general comment. It's not to say that you can't still get results if you integrate influencers properly into your brand strategy, but it is to say that in general, it's not as strong channels it might have been a few years ago. So in conventional retailers, like, well, at Social Nature, we do a lot of work in conventional retailers and we're able to generate demand through our platform of a million shoppers and then segment that demand based on where people already shop and then drive people into the stores. And in general, people are learning about new products like on the retailer's websites, right? Like they're looking on walmart.ca or whatever. But I think for the most part, people are just noticing stuff on the shelf. Like they're looking for deals. TPRs will be standing out. Okay. That's very helpful. And then what kind of differences are you seeing across generations? Because I, I believe you're collecting data to compare Gen Y versus millennials versus X and baby boomers. What are you seeing there in this kind of environment? Yeah. So the general trend, of course, is there is like price sensitivity, but people are still health conscious, like in general. And then in terms of like where people are most impacted, the Gen Z and millennials are the ones that are feeling the impact the most. Uh, specifically around rising rent and housing costs. They're feeling the pressure and they are seeking ways to make extra income. So that segment, based on that pressure, when you're dealing with rental and housing cost challenges and looking for a side job, you're probably a bit more price sensitive that is than someone that's not dealing with that type of pressure. So that's impacting that segment more. And they're also looking to improve work-life balance <laughs> more as well to reduce stress. So the Gen Z and millennials are a little bit more dealing with pressure and stress. They are skewing more towards buying plant-based alternatives. That's not really that new. That's That trend's been there for a while. And what's interesting is they're also more likely to be buying non-alcoholic beverages. So there's some, I think, new associations starting now with like RTD, non-alcoholic beverages and substitutes and more innovative brands coming out. So that's a neat emerging segment there. And also the Gen Z and millennials are more sensitive to sustainable packaging and ingredients. Like for one in three people in general, that matters. And they skew a bit heavier towards that. Whereas the Gen X, from like a goal perspective, they're more focused on weight loss. So if you're in the weight loss business, selling weight loss supplements or programs, Gen X is a good target for you. And then baby boomers are more skewing towards, which is also not that surprising, towards preventing illness and physical injury. So for those of us in the supplement space, supplements remain very important to people. They are spending money on them to support their health goals. And so that would be a good segment as well. Baby boomers are spending money on supplements specifically around prevention and things like that. Yeah. And do you see different activity by generation as far as where they typically shop, conventional versus natural? What sort of, do you see a difference there generation, generationally? 
right now, based on the data that we've just looked at, everybody is going towards conventional and the Gen Z and millennials are even more likely to be channel shifting right now based on the price pressure that they're facing. Interesting. Sensitivity. Yeah. Yeah. Which was never the case before. They would have been more likely, the Gen Z and millennials, more likely just be spending time in some of the independence and the national channel or specialty. But right now, people are spending more time in conventional. Yeah. Yeah. That's very interesting. I'm curious with some of this data to to set the stage with from what you're seeing and that you're working with, what are some strategies that are working right now for finding and keeping new customers with all of this going on? What are you seeing work successfully right now that maybe was a little bit different than previously? I think like the, what's working well is people that are paying attention to pricing, having special offers, whether it's like BOGOs or like different value packs, people are looking for price breaks, right? That's an important consideration just across the board in general right now, because because people are being hit across the board, right? It's not just one area of inflation, it's across everything. So that's really important. The other thing in terms of getting new customers is that really you can rely on your current community. So people are sharing that they're much more likely to buy something if it was recommended by like a trusted friend or family member. And that's with 21% of shoppers. So if you've got like an engaged customer base, even if it's small, look, looking towards ways to scale that is going to give you a lower cost of customer acquisition in this current environment. And maybe more likely a little bit of reduction sensitivity. Jesse, if you told me, hey, I took the supplement and it really helped me with a certain problem and I had the same problem, I probably will just go and buy it because you told me. Even if another one was $3 cheaper, I, you told me it works. Maybe I'm going to make that concession and I'm going to buy a bit more expensive one. So leveraging like our current community and building out consumer advocacy and referral programs and everything we possibly can do to lean into that as an asset is going to help us scale our brand. Um, and it's a big opportunity right now. And then in terms of like new consumer acquisition, there's two key levers that people were sharing. One of them is that they can tell if a new product is good and if they trust it very quickly just based on the ingredients. So making sure that the packaging is easy to understand, like people can read the label, like the print's not too small or whatever, yeah. or that you've got like a QR code or whatever on there that like makes just making it easy for people on shelf to quickly get if this is healthy or not. And then having a clear, transparent label on your site because that's how people are also making the decisions. Like I said before, yes, price matters, but also they're more health conscious than ever before. They are becoming more educated. They are reading the labels. Make your labels easy to understand and read. That will help you to quickly, if we can get them to lift the product off the shelf, to put it in that basket, if they can quickly just figure it out. The other thing is old school product trial. Like people, if you let them try the product before they buy it, that is 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 very effective right now. 24% of people said, I just want to try the product myself, like for a new product. And then I can decide if I want to buy it. I won't know if it's good or not until I just try it. So investing in, in different strategies to drive trial is the fastest way for getting a new customer right now. It's just faster. If you can get it in their hands and they liked it, then they're more likely to buy it. So yeah, yeah those are some of the key, key strategies, I'd say. Number one, being aware of our price. Number two, how can I lean into advocacy, leveraging my current fan base? And then number three, 
Can I make sure that my ingredients are quick and easy to understand? And the final one is how can I just get as many products as possible into the right people's hands? Those strategies are going to help. Yeah. And to your point about people being able to quickly identify on the packaging that with the stage that you set earlier of if you're on conventional shelves, can competing for that shelf space in a yeah. different way that's not as maybe set up as other other smaller stores to really drive highlighting what's new. Like you have to stand out. And if people are really shopping by health goal, they need to see quickly, is it gluten-free? Is it non-GMO? Yes. Like, cause so they can yeah. make that decision quickly. If they can't tell, they might just move to the one that they can see that claim on because they're in a hurry and they've, they're looking for the symbols of trust. But Jesse, yeah, perfect. Exactly. On the temporary price reduction TPRs, do you see, is there any advice on types that work better, a certain percentage off or BOGOs or any if, anything that you see that's more effective? Does it depend by, or is it dependent on the category and any advice there? I don't have as much data on that. What we have seen, like in general, through running our campaigns at Social Nature, like in general, is that BOGOs tend to do really well just because it makes it really easy for the consumer and it moves units quickly. So that works like super well in the food space when your SRP is like whatever it is, $5 a unit or $8 a unit or something like that, or three, those tend to be very popular. And then if you're like in the supplements, a good like 10 or 20% off tends to be pretty good, a pretty good discount. Yeah, that's the general theme I would say. Okay. I feel like a lot of it at conventional is just even having that hang tag to draw some attention to this is a lower price than it normally is and to yeah. draw attention to that spot on the shelf that you may not have noticed if it's not a brand that you recognize. Yeah. And then people will just stand there and they'll look side by side. Is the TPR cheaper than the one next to it? If the answer is yes, then the ingredients and the price per gram or whatever is roughly the same or grams or whatever, then, you know, then done. I'll buy yeah. that one today. I'll try that one this week. Oh, I like the packaging. It looks cool. I've never tried this brand before, but oh, it's $5 off and the other one's not. Well, let me give it a try. Yeah. Do you see like the the little IRC stick-on coupons also driving, helping drive trial where people can, they've you've sent in a merchandising team or something so people can tear off a dollar off coupon. Do you see those help drive trial as much or is it more the hang tags on the shelf or I'm curious. In my personal experience, so this is less social nature data, but just my personal experience being in the space for a long time, the tear off coupons half the time they end up falling off wherever rack they're on and I don't think people see them that well so I think the TPR is much better like something that's actually not that's easier to see yeah yeah that makes sense and then you mentioned like leveraging community and I'm curious like because we've talked about like affiliate marketing on the show and kind of the difference between that and influencer marketing. You mentioned influencer marketing is maybe having the pull it used to, whereas like affiliates, like curious if you're seeing brands, are they using like formal affiliate programs? Like where they're sending out links that you're seeing? Are they like using a tool to manage it? Is it something brands, you do you see brands managing it internally with Facebook groups or other community management? What do you kind of see for how people are leveraging their communities? I think it's pretty early. Like the affiliate concept is relatively early in CBG. I don't think that many brands have really figured that out just because like in general, the whole D2C model is a little bit behind, not behind, but it's just not as proven out yet because historically and still today, people buy the majority of their grocery products in a brick and mortar retail or through rewrite. I think there's a lot more innovation and a lot more testing that needs to be done. I think it works better for like supplement products where 
Um, people have been buying supplements on D2C and e-commerce a lot longer than they have like food and beverage or maybe like health and beauty products. Again, those have had a longer time in D2C and have a bit more, often less commoditization, like a certain type of skincare formulation with the right branding or makeup, you might be more likely to buy than a snack bar that quite frankly, you can buy next week on your next week's grocery trip. You don't really care to spend your time setting up another account, Modus app, something that you can buy or substitute with something else. So I think like for this to work, it needs to be a product that is unique enough and less commodified where you can actually get some traffic and people want to buy that product online. If they're not really willing to open up an account online, then it's probably not going to be as, as effective. There's only so many accounts a person wants to have. Passwords, let's get real, right? Mm-hmm. How many accounts does a person want? So I think I think if you're if you're very specialized, that's an excellent strategy. If you're solving a very specific problem, very specialized or innovative, or just really figured out your content and lifestyle marketing, and you're doing a good job of kind of building out ambassadors and stuff, then I think the affiliate model could work. But I wouldn't just slap up an affiliate tag without actually having figured out like a digital funnel and a product that people want to buy online. Mm-hmm. Usually it's more, it's easier to sign up to the Mission Junction or like an affiliate um, platform. If you want to scale that, then definitely want to sign up to a platform that provides that for sure. So there's opportunity though, definitely. I think there is opportunity, but you just need to think it through a little bit from a user perspective. Yeah. I'm also curious as someone that has taken lots of social nature surveys uh, yeah. with kind of the community aspect, like I, a lot, I think there's questions around like, you know, how did you hear about this? What's your experience with this brand? And it's like, never heard of it before. I think I've heard of it before those kind of things. And I'm curious what, if you see any trends as far as response to that, as far as like, are people more likely to click on something that they've heard of before? Are people open to something that they've never heard of before? Just curious about the data that you get from that question and what that kind of tells us about people's openness to trying something. Does Do you often see that they've say, I think I've heard of this before, I have heard of it before, and that helps them get to the trial? Or Because our model is deliberately set up to de-risk um, product launch is a trial, right? With uh, free product offers to start, we lead with a free product sample or full-size product. And then after we allow brands to retarget or re-engage the users with BOGOs or include additional offers. So because that initial offer is so, there's no risk. Mm -hmm. Uh, We see tons of new shopper acquisition for our clients, especially because a lot of our clients are really new to market, right? It doesn't impact the the engagement at all if they haven't heard of you. I think because that offer is so powerful. Yeah. Interesting. Do you see Because I think you also do some like percent off programs. Do you see that change when it goes to something like a 15% off where where for people redeeming an offer? Yes, the funnel definitely will drop off. So our focus right now is on free product trial versus marketing different discounts. What we found is that after they've tried the product itself and they experienced it, then they're very, they can be very responsive to an additional offer. For example, we've had some really cool chocolate bar products, natural chocolate bar products. And they got like one campaign got like a 48% redemption on their secondary BOGO offer. Another campaign got, I think, I can't remember exactly, I think 75% redemption on their follow up offer campaign with a BOGO. Another supplement company 
I think they had a $5 off their tub of protein and they got like a huge redemption on that, like, like 15 or 20%, like way above what you would normally get. So the magic tends to be get the product in their hands in the fastest, easiest way possible. And then people are going to be much more likely to respond to your next offer. I don't know if that answered your question or not. Yeah. For that first trial, it really helps for it to be a deep, deep discount or a free product so that it's very yeah. low risk. So they're, they don't have to have that prior positive association sure. or any other information on the product. Yeah. And I think from a branding perspective, it's a free product is a cleaner way to do it in the sense that we're not getting into deep discounts and eroding our, our margins. We've offered a nice free product. And now if we want to do a follow-up offer, however that looks across whatever channels we're using for marketing, right? Then we can still offer something good, maybe 10, 20% off, but we're not going crazy here. We're not saying, hey, try it for 70% off because that cheapens the perceived quality. It's a bit of a, it's not a game, but... The free product is like a gift. It's like the brand is generously offering you this opportunity to try it. It's a beautiful, a wonderful product. And then after you can still maintain some level of price integrity. Yeah, that makes sense. You're setting it up differently as like a gift. Like there, you don't yeah. expect a product to always give you product for free. No, <laughs> Whereas no, if you no, get it, ridiculous. if you get it for, yeah, but if you get it for 75% off, you might keep looking for it to be yeah. 75% off again. And just, it's a mental, it's mental a difference. thing, exactly. Yeah. And it's like, as a brand, we're confident, like we're so confident in our product that we're willing to offer you to try it for free. Like everybody knows, of course you want me to buy more of it, but we're confident in our products and just try it. And we know that you're going to buy it because we know it's a good product. So we don't have to resort to like deep discounting and eroding our margins completely. No, we're just making it easy for you to try it, right? Yeah. And then is there any, I think some of the tips we just talked about are applicable, but for specifically like launching with a new mm. retailer, and maybe we can look at it from from a like a natural channel and conventional because sure. we're seeing shopper behavior that's different. Do you have any tips specifically for a product launch that you're seeing brands be successful with right now? I think we have to, the mo most important thing, and it's probably obvious, but it's just important to say, is to be really clear in what are the key success metrics that you must have to be seen as successful by the retailer. Like really understanding what are the velocity hurdles that you need to meet to, to stay on that shelf for that launch in advance and reverse engineering the math around that to make sure that you've got enough money put aside in your working capital, right? Or your marketing budget, whatever word you want to use, working capital is difficult, POs, and you know, that you've got a strong plan in place to drive the sell through, right? Like you have to have that. If you launch and you put all your money into R&D and all your money into the listing fee and you hope it's going to move off the shelf, that's very dangerous because if it doesn't, then you're delisted. So we need to do really strong good financial management and planning in advance so that we can go ahead and deploy that capital to make sure that product's going to move, number one. Number two, I think making sure that we're, we're just shortening the path to acquisition. I've done hundreds of different types of marketing in my career and all kinds of different funnels and stuff. I think right now, like focusing your dollars on the shortest path to driving that in-store sale. So yes, we want to build like brand awareness and we want to do all these things. But if we're only in 300 stores, spending a ton of money on building digital brand awareness when you're only sold in 300 doors is going to be a waste of time. Why? Because your conversion rate on that's going to be very low because you don't have that many stores yet. So instead, focus those dollars on making sure 
you move the units where you're at. And then step by step, we scale to the next one. It's like a series of mini launches and phases to planning out the growth strategy. Trying to do everything all at once too soon sometimes doesn't get the overall return that we're looking for. So having enough capital to drive sell through in those stores is good. And then making sure that we're getting early feedback. Like we can, we're getting feedback from the consumers. Like they find the product. What is their thought on the price? Like how was the product experience so that we can optimize those products quickly if we can, as best we can. I don't know if that helped answer the question. It was a little bit more of a business management answer than a shiny marketing idea answer, but it starts with the business management. Yeah, no, that's great. And just, I think if you are able to collect data or understand how your shopper is behaving in a retailer and to be able to share that and communicate throughout the process of the launch, if the retailer launches you and then you say, oh, hey, I just got some great data that maybe we should move to this other section or, hey, I, you know, like if you just stay in communication with your with the retail, I've, I've heard mm, good stories yes. within our community of people leveraging data that they've gathered oftentimes through social nature to say, hey, we launch, it's going well, but here's how we think we can do better. And retailers are like, oh, we love when you present us with more data. 100%. That's true. We can find out very quickly in that new product launch, could people find the product or did they expect to find it to your point, Jesse, in a different section of the store? And if people, a large percentage said, I would be more likely to find this in this section or prefer it to be here, that to your point, that's the case to move it. And that would result in more sales. So that early stage getting feedback on the actual shopping experience is something that we do here and is definitely helpful, especially in conventional, because who knows where you ended up? It could be really hard to find it, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. An example I can think of is I think it's the Sweet Nothings team that was initially placed in the ice cream section because they have little frozen smoothie cups. And then they got feedback that People were then expecting ice cream and then they were like, this doesn't taste like ice cream. And then they moved their placement to be near the smoothie ingredients. And then people were like, oh, sweet. I don't have to make a smoothie now. I can just buy the cup. <laughs> yeah. And it totally changes the shopper experience expectations. And then your velocity results are way different. 100%. So yeah, those are 100%. Getting that figured out sooner than later is, is value both to the brand and to the retailer because it's the voice of market that's speaking of the shopper. Yeah. And then, so that's kind of for, you know, new retail launch. What tips do you have for engaging your current customer base and growing lifetime value? Because again, going to back to that question that I mentioned earlier, you can target a campaign to people that have never heard of a brand or loyal customers of a brand and just drive trial within those groups. So what do you see being effective for really growing a current, your current engaged fans or fans that maybe forgotten about you and need a little nudge to, to come yeah. back? I think innovation is a huge opportunity for brands to engage their shopper base because people want to share their voice, right? Health, as we've shared, like people's health has become a big priority. And so they want to share what they want because it's something they're really paying attention to, right? Same thing with other initiatives, social and environmental initiatives. So as a natural brand, like you're in a great position to have people that want to share what they want with you. So having like your own innovation labs, like Getting your social community and people involved in your product roadmap is a great way to like A, build products people want and B, have a tribe of people ready to tell that story when that's launched. And yes, you're not going to launch every single idea someone gives you that you can handle that communication by just being clear, you're just getting ideas and some that, but that's a really big opportunity for brands to, to keep people engaged in their brand directly. 
people love to share their feedback. We found that 90% of the people in our shopper base want to tell you what they want. <laughs> like they want to share their opinion. Like we get so much data and we don't incentivize people because they want to tell us, like they want to share that because it's a topic they are very passionate about and genuine about. So that's one. Another one in general is we, is like AI personalization. There's so much more opportunity now to leverage technology, to like give more personalized messaging and better targeting to people. So like you can do what we do to an extent, it's hard, but you could start by starting to understand what are the retailers that your community shops at the most. So if you've got an e-commerce store, you've got an email list, like you could start to ask people, collect their zip codes. You could ask them, you know, do do you, where do, where do you want to buy my product? Oh, actually right now, I wish you were at Walmart because I'm going there all the time. Or I would actually be fine to buy a bundle on DSC from you. Or I would like to be at my independent or whatever it is. Figure out what people want. Where's demand from a place perspective, the place part of marketing. And as you get that data, and as you start to like launch products in these different retailers or key regions or different formats, then you already have your CRM segmented based on what where people what they want. So if I if you have a cohort of people that are like Walmart shoppers and you're launching a new flavor, then you can let them know. And it's more personal because they actually shop there. So I think there's a, an opportunity for people to leverage CRM and data collection into a little bit more specific marketing. It takes a bit of work, but once you start getting those segments built out, you're just going to get a better conversion rate. And then you're also going to be able to do better innovation because you're going to know, oh, these people over here want this type of format compared to these people over here kind of thing. And that data now becomes part of your retail case. So that's that. Those are like the main things, I think. And I think also just because we know people are health conscious, like getting people involved in health challenges, if possible, or ways to get people hosting different monthly challenges, they still engage. People like to be part of community. So doing initiatives like that can be really cool. Yeah, no, that's that's great. And before we move into like how to work with social nature and some of the programs, is there anything else you wanted to share on this topic of shoppers responding to inflation? Any final thoughts on that? You already shared a lot of great data. <laughs> no, I think just stand tall and, and keep our heads up and just be mindful. There's a bit of pressure right now and we might need to rethink a little bit of our the way we do business. And that's an opportunity to build stronger business. So I think that, you know, stepping back and doing a bit of reset as best we can while we run the day-to-day -day operations of our companies always can force us to be more innovative. So I think we can look at this as an opportunity to do that. And also that people are more health conscious before they are buying natural products as a solution to their problems. And so we are relevant and there is opportunity. I guess that would just be my final comment. <laughs> yeah. I love it. Tell us about some of the different programs that are available to work with Social Nature on. Would love to lay those out for people that may be interested after hearing about this. Definitely. So Social Nature is designed, as I mentioned, to support like growing overall natural product sales for the industry through our shopper base of a million people. And we like to help brands across the product lifecycle. So if you want to think of it this way, pre-launch, we can help you to validate your products before they're even in market. So if you're wanting to, to test a different packaging design or a different concept or do a smaller run of production, or you're in a test location maybe, we can get you feedback early to validate, is this product, is it gonna be, does it have good, strong consumer demand and reception? So using that, that validation data, 
can help you to feel more confident in going forward with that concept or perhaps informing different changes or modifications. And so that's step one, helping you validate pre-launch. And then once you're ready to launch your product at the retail market, then we can support you to build demand for our platform. So you don't have to worry about spending money on on digital acquisition yourself. We already have a consumer base that we can tap into and target based on who your ideal consumer is. And it's a predictable cost. So right now there's a lot of stuff going on out there with changes in digital acquisition. It's getting very difficult to do it at a efficient way. So you don't have to worry about that with social nature. We handle all that demand generation through the platform. And then we can mobilize that demand that we create through our platform to drive people into the stores, your designated stores, where the products are sold and to move the unit off the shelf. So this is really valuable because it's like an insurance plan. You tell us how many people and new customers you want, we will help you to get them. And that's what you need to make sure that these new launches, whether it's a new retailer, a new region, or a new flavor, are going to be successful in that early stage. We must have enough in-store awareness, enough in-store trial, and enough in-store repeat purchase to be successful. So that's the other kind of key component. And through that mechanism, that in-store trial, we surface lots and lots of insights and they can be customized based on what you want to learn. So we can understand what is the shopping experience like? Is there an opportunity to reassess our merchandising like we talked about a few minutes ago with Jesse? We can understand, would they buy this product again? Why or why not? and getting feedback on that current in-market experience. And then from there, as you're looking at scaling your sales, so we've done pre-market validation, in-store launch. Yep, I'm good at my launch. We did it. We're cool. Now what? Then we can help you figure out, okay, so what's my next big idea going to be? You can leverage the community here to figure out what should my next format or my next flavor be, or take the data that you got from us and use it to pitch your next retailer. We can show you, oh, these people really love my product. They also shop at Target and they want it. And we've had people literally take our data and put in their retail pitch decks to get that next listing. So leveraging one marketing campaign investment, take that data to get their next listing. Yeah. No, that's really interesting. And we've had multiple brands on the show and in the community talk about how running a campaign with social nature, yes, you're driving trial so you can use it from that part of your like your marketing budget, but also the piece around the consumer research and the innovation of the different budgets that the all in one that you can encompass yes. that you may have, yes. you know, previously had to hire someone to help you collect data, hire someone to do sampling, hire someone to find out your innovation. And like, you can do that all in one platform, which I just think is so beautiful. Yes, exactly. It's like an all-in-one shopper marketing platform, basically. Yeah. And your point about just uh, consumers, like you already have the demand and the consumers, like, you know, for a sample size of one for myself, like, I when I get an email and social nature says you there's new products for you to try, I always immediately open it and I want to see and look and they're it's very good at matching because it because the platform is matched with my interests. And so generally when I get that email, I'm like, oh, yeah great. I do want to match with that. And so I think, like you said, in a world where it's expensive, customer acquisition costs are expensive and rates are changing and you can predictably bring customers to a brand that they wouldn't might not have had access to or would have had to access in different ways. It's an interesting point. More efficient. Exactly. 
Yeah. And can you, because I think this is so impressive, can you share the rate that you often see of opt-in to a brand's personal email list after running a campaign? Because I love that stat and I think it's so impressive. It's 30 to 50 percent. Yeah. Yeah. And like even our post-trial repeat purchase rates, like ranges, but our recent survey of several customers showed like 40 percent. Wow. Yeah. Those are just really impressive Thank numbers. You. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. So how does someone, what website should they go to or is there an email? What's the best way to connect with the Social Nature team? Yeah, they can email us at marketing at socialnature.com if they want us to match them with one of our growth team consultants that chat about what your goals are and we can talk about other customers that have had success and just see, discuss the best plan for you. Or you can also go to our business website at business.socialnature.com. Perfect. Awesome. We'll all include those in the show notes as well for ease. But thank you so much, Jessica, for being here today, for sharing with us. This has been super helpful and really appreciate you. Thank you very much. And thanks, everybody, for listening. I hope it was helpful for you today. Thank you for listening in today. Special thanks to our partner, Social Nature. Email marketing at socialnature.com or visit business.socialnature.com or the link is in the show notes. I'm so honored you joined me for this conversation and I love hearing from you all with feedback, suggestions, or if you just want to say hi at podcast at startupcpg.com or you can find me on LinkedIn. If you liked this episode, we'd love for you to share it with a friend or colleague, subscribe so you don't miss future episodes, and maybe even leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. If you aren't yet in our Slack community of founders and experts, We'd love to see you there. You can get the free invite at startupcpg.com and find all our other awesome resources there like webinars, databases, the blog, the magazine, and virtual and in-person events. And if you found yourself rocking out to our intro and outro music, which I do every single time, make sure to check out the Super Fantastics on Spotify. It's the band of our Startup CPG founder, Daniel Scharf. I'm Jesse Freitag, your host and producer, and on behalf of the whole team at Startup CPG, thank you for being here and see you next week.